Welcome everyone to the sixth edition of the Learning to Lead podcast. This month I had the opportunity to sit down and interview College Prowler CEO Luke Skirman, and I'll introduce you to him in a few minutes. But before I do, I just want to reiterate the purpose of this podcast. When I was 18 years old, I had a mentor hand me a leadership CD, and I listened to it and enjoyed it so much that I literally wrote out word for word the entire lesson. Uh, I called my mentor after listening to it and I said to him, I want everything you've got on leadership, every CD, every book, anything you have, anybody you can introduce me to, I want to meet. I want to grow as much as I can. And from that time on, I've really been consumed with a passion for learning and growing uh, leadership, life, intentionality, uh, productivity, etc. And as a result, for many years, I've made it a practice to sit down with successful people in order to learn from them. And I've learned so much as a result of these meetings with the leaders that I thought, Hey, why, why just be selfish and, and benefit from it myself? Why not record the meetings um, with the people and put them online for everyone else to listen to as well? And so in addition to these interviews uh, that I'll be posting monthly, I will also be recording a leadership mo- lesson a month personally um, in hopes that it will add value to your life. And so I would love to hear what subjects you would like me to talk about. Uh, in upcoming podcasts, and I'd also like to hear any suggestions that you have about who I should interview in upcoming episodes as well. Um, And you can actually let me know your suggestions by filling out the contact form uh, below in the podcast notes and or the blog post. And so uh, let's get into this interview right away. This month I had the privilege of sitting down with Luke Skirman. Luke is the founder, president, and CEO of College Prowler Inc. He's a publisher, which is a publisher of student written guides on more than 400 colleges across the country. He oversees investor relations, management, partnerships, product development, and overall strategy for the company. Since its inception, College Prowler has grown rapidly, creating successful partnerships with companies like AOL. Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Business Week, Chipotle, PNC, Wells Fargo, and many, many more. Uh, Luke has been named among the top 20 entrepreneurs under 25 and the top 30 entrepreneurs under 30 in Inc. Magazine in 2006. He was a uh, finalist in Ernst & Young's Regional Entrepreneur of the Year competition in 2010. Uh, Luke holds a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in public policy and management from Carnegie Mellon University. Um, where in 2008 he was actually elected to the Carnegie Mellon University Board of Trustees as the youngest member in its history and now sits on several university committees and advisory boards. Uh, In addition to this work uh, in the education industry, Lou continues to support entrepreneurship through his position as an advisor with the Alpha Lab, a leading national startup accelerator. He also has spent seven years as a mentor to a local teenager through Big Brothers Big Sisters of Greater Pittsburgh, three years as a member of the board of directors, and currently serves on its advisory board. And Luke also uh, volunteers for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and sits on the marketing committee for the Allegheny Conference on Community Development. So that is a mouthful. Luke has accomplished so much uh, in the short time he's been alive, and it was an honor to sit down with him and interview him and hear his thoughts on leadership and entrepreneurship. And I I promise you, I promise you, I promise you that this interview is well worth your time to listen to. Hey Luke, thanks so much for being willing to to do this interview with me. I'm really excited about it. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, what you do, and what College Prowler is all about. Sure. Um, So my name is Luke Skirman. I'm the CEO and founder of College Prowler. Um, I was born in Manhattan. I grew up in San Francisco. Um, I got my bachelor's and my master's at Carnegie Mellon, <clears throat> and I've now been to Pittsburgh 
Um, since 1998, I've been here for about 14 years. When I was a sophomore at Carnegie Mellon, I came up with the idea for College Prowler. Um, and it came from the, the thought process that when I was in high school, it was so difficult to try to find information on the right college. Um, my parents were going to spend $200,000. I was going to move maybe 3,000 miles across the country. It was really difficult. And for some reason, choosing a college was a very important, almost obsession for me. And I got on campus, and some people loved Carnegie Mellon, and some people really just didn't like it. Carnegie Mellon's a pretty specific school. It's not a big rah-rah school. It's not a big sports school. It's not a big party school. It's a pretty academically focused school. And most people know what they're getting themselves into, but some didn't. Um, and for me, I wanted the student's voice to come through more. So you go to U.S. News, and you see those rankings and those stats. The college kind of sells you on a brochure, but I just wanted to hear the students telling me the good and the bad and the ugly, and I felt the student's voice was missing. So my sophomore year in college, I came up with the idea, kept going to entrepreneurship courses, kept writing business plans for it, and the day after I graduated in 2002, I began working for myself full-time. So this, uh, this May, right now, I have been working nonstop now for 10 full years on College Prowler. Um, so I'm the CEO, I'm the founder, and we are one of the largest websites in the country of information on colleges entirely from the student's point of view. Wow. That's great. Uh, so walk us through your, your leadership slash entrepreneurial journey. Uh, you know, did you always aspire to be an entrepreneur wherever you were, or, or did someone teach you that? Sure. Um, so my family is highly entrepreneurial. My father has his own business. My mother has her own business. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. My, my mother's father was an entrepreneur. My father's father was an entrepreneur. Everybody's highly entrepreneurial in my family. But I would say that the, the story that they crystallized the most for me in entrepreneurship, there was, there's two stories I would say. One, my father started his own business, and two, me, me having a corporate internship. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch base on both of those really quickly. So one, my, my dad is an extremely talented architect. I'd always ask my dad growing up, Dad, who's the most talented architect in the whole world? And he would tell me, Luke, I'm the best architect in the whole world. And I, I always said to myself, wow, my dad is the most talented architect in the whole world. That's so cool. Yeah. And my dad had these great jobs at these really fancy, high-profile architectural firms. One was called Gensler, which is the biggest architectural firm in the world. He worked for I.M. Pei, the guy that designed the Louvre in Paris. He worked for the best firms in the world. He, was ex he is extremely talented. But for whatever reason, politically, he just never became a partner. He never made it up that whole corporate food chain where it's a business and not everyone is going to make it to director and to partner. And, and he just, it just didn't quite work, the politics of it all. So I always said to myself, he's so talented, yet he's not getting the recognition that he, he really deserves. So between my eighth grade year and my freshman year in high school, he started his own firm. He quit his corporate job and he started his own firm. So throughout my four years in high school, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. My parents are divorced. And growing up in, when I was younger, I, I lived with my mother during the week and I'd see my father usually on the weekends. In high school, I lived with my father during the week and I'd see my mother on the weekends. And we lived in a one bedroom apartment. I was given the bedroom and he would sleep on a futon every single day. So I'd wake up in the morning, 
He'd either be on the futon or the futon would already be rolled up and he'd be using our living room to be drafting architecture right in our living room. And he had very, very little income, um, like almost relying exclusively on credit cards while I was in high school. Um, and I kept telling him, I want to go to a great college, I want to go to a great college. He said, I understand that. And right as I'm getting ready to go to college, his business takes off and he becomes extremely successful and he's able to help me pay for college. And um, I saw him basically take matters into his own hands, realized that he was a great architect, realized that he could do it and became extremely successful. Um, so my dad's now had his own business for about 20 years. Um, he's been in Architectural Digest many times. He was just knighted by the French government. He became a Chevalier um, last year. He's really talented. And watching my father, when he finally started his own business and got all the recognition and success that he deserved, that was very important for me. The second moment for me was between my sophomore year and my junior year in college. So I got this very coveted, fancy internship at this hot internet company, um, and it was in Silicon Valley. I was in San Francisco at the time, and I had to drive 45 miles each way. So I would drive 45 miles there, 45 miles home. So I'm in the car about 90 miles a day, about two hours worth of driving a day. And as a 19-year-old kid, they were paying me about um, $22 an hour. So I felt like I was rich beyond belief. But I was miserable that summer. I'm sitting in the cubicle every single day. I'm driving two hours a day, 100 miles on the road, and I felt like I had no impact on this organization. It wasn't a gigantic organization, but it still had two or 3,000 employees. And I felt like if I didn't show up to work that day, that's okay, they, business as usual, they can, they can do without me. And so after that summer, I took a step back and I said, I'm at one of the best business schools in the country at Carnegie Mellon. I'm at this incredible university. I'm all the way from San Francisco and Pittsburgh. I have to take, I have to take this opportunity further. I have to really realize that I'm being given something really great here. I need to really pour more heart and soul into this. If I don't, I'm just going to coast along and you're just going to end up in some job that doesn't really inspire you. Um, and I said to myself, okay, well, I don't want to work for a big company that I'm not really having an impact. And I thought that I would basically just be a key member of a small company, maybe 100 employees, maybe 50 employees, maybe 20 employees. Never did I think that I would be the CEO or the founder right out of school. I knew I wanted to work in small business where I could really have an impact and my work mattered. But I didn't think that I would be the guy starting my own business. But it, just kept happening and so I've been doing it for 10 years and I've really enjoyed it though and, and it inspires me to to feel like I'm in control of my own destiny. That's great. So I read about you that as a teenager you owned your own hot dog stand in San Francisco. That's great. Um, and obviously your experience with Carnegie Mellon and now you mentor a lot of entre young entrepreneurs and your experience is, is entrepreneurship something that someone just they have it or they don't, or is it something that you can actually learn and, and just take off with? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, like when I was a little kid, I just, I was just obsessed with business. I loved business. Um, so, you know, my version of the stock market was baseball cards. So I would literally go <laughs> to the baseball card shop and I was only given five or $10. Some of my friends had larger allowances than I did. 
I would negotiate all day long with the guy at the baseball card shop. Literally for five or six hours, I would sit there and grind <laughs> him down on the price to get the cards that I wanted. And uh, I felt like I only had this much money, but I really wanted that card or I wanted that pack or I wanted that set. And I would work it and then I would collect things and and that hot dog cart was, was very entrepreneurial for me. I mean, I had a hot dog cart, a pretzel cart, and an ice cream cart at one of the busiest corners in San Francisco, right by the cable car turnaround. We would gross. I was all by myself. I would gross between one and $2,000 a day. I'd work about from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. I'd be filthy. I'd work six days a week. So those summers, I made, I think, like eight to $10,000 just cash. I was just really busting my butt, yeah. but I was really working it. And you realize that you have... You have homeless people, you have executives, you have normal people, all these different people that you're dealing with all day as a 16 to 19 year old. And you have to figure out how to work with people, how to interact, how to work really hard, how to figure things out on the fly. And it did make me entrepreneurial. Um, I think that I was lucky that I was given some of those opportunities. My family's been entrepreneurial. I don't think everyone is entrepreneurial, but I think that people can become more entrepreneurial. Everybody can become more entrepreneurial, but some people are inherently just more risk averse. I believe that, that they prefer stability. They prefer the less turbulence. Being an entrepreneur is not simple. It's not like everyone just makes all this money. Everyone's a rock star. Everyone's a celebrity having fun all day. There are a lot of highs. But there are a lot of lows. There's a lot of poop you need to deal with as an entrepreneur. Um, I think the media glamorizes entrepreneurship a lot, which is cool. I mean, entrepreneurs are building some of the coolest stuff going right now. So I think that everyone can like be more entrepreneurial, but I think that there is a certain trait that, that's not necessarily full-blown in everybody, though. Yeah. What skill sets do you value most in entrepreneurs as you mentor them, or do you see that, wow, this, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to have the, these skill sets? Well, for me, I think that there's three things that I've determined that make a successful person in general, and I would think that it's, it's further exaggerated in an entrepreneur. And I look at it as a triangle, and you need to have all three of the triangles completely balanced for it to work. Number one is hard work. I don't care if you're a rocket scientist or you're Bill Gates or you're a substitute teacher. You need to really, really work hard every single day. Nothing comes easy to the most successful people. They have to work hard every single day. There's no shortcuts. So no matter what, you need to work really hard. Number two, you need to have a lot of self-confidence. There's a lot of stuff that goes on every day and everyone tells you you're wrong, you're right, you're wrong. You have to kind of make all these decisions, phase it out, and you need to know and have your own guiding light and be extremely self-confident. Not cocky, but self-confident, knowing that you really are onto something and you're trusting yourself. And the last thing I would say is you need passion. You need to love what you do. You need to want to wake up every day and go after it. And you need to be able to do that every day for a long time. You get home from work and you still want to go on the internet and you still want to research it. You want to wake up on Saturday, you're still thinking about it. It's like a big puzzle that you just can't turn off. So I think the most successful entrepreneurs have those three things. They work hard, they love what they do, and they have so much self-confidence. And I think those are the three key traits to being a successful entrepreneur. Talk a minute about confidence. So 
I mean, are there times as an entrepreneur, as CEO, that you're scared to death, but you act anyway? I mean, do you still get the same feeling that everyone else has when it comes to, to oh, taking a big leap? Because oh, I think sure. sometimes people in your position, it's easy to look and be like, oh, well, it's easy for them to jump. It's easy for them to make these decisions. They're always confident. They're oh, always... Definitely. I mean, everybody thinks that um, you go through your management team, you go through the process, you get a phone call, you talk to your investors, and you just kind of oh, we're just going to make this decision. But some of those decisions are extremely intense. For us, in 2009, we decided to stop giving away, to stop charging for our content and give it away completely for free. We realized that by charging people for our content, we were kind of strangling our greatest resource, which was our content. But by making it totally for free, were we really going to be able to grow the traffic significantly enough? Logically, you can see... All these websites are free. Everybody's going free. But when you say to yourself, you're going to turn off your one revenue stream that's kind of working, which is your subscription-based revenue. It's not a lot of money, but it's some money. You're going to turn it off. you got to really, it's still scary. There's still an unknown. There's still a doubt there. Or if someone wants to come and acquire us, we've had a lot of huge multi-billion dollar companies come and sniff around and they're asking us what we're up to and Maybe they'll throw out a number and you say to yourself, is this the time? Are we really going to sell right now? Or no, you know what? I think we have so much more growth ahead of us. We're not ready to be sold. That There's so much happens that you can't really even explain that, that you go through this internal process that, that, that is not simple at all. It's extremely complex and it's always scary. It is. The reality though is that no one has the answers. And if you go through a really good, deep process internally you write you think you talk to people and then you think it through that's all that you can do though that's all that you can do and you have to be at peace with that and then i just want to touch on the hard work as well what do you and again i know everyone has their own system but what do you personally do uh, when it comes to task manager how do you prioritize hey this is what i need to get done today i mean do you do, you do to-do lists it's a simple question but i i, I think one is um I think it starts with some sort of a schedule and some sort of structure. Um, like, I like to go to the office every day, not not on the weekends, but first of all, if you're your own business here, yeah, it's my own business. Do I have to really go to the office every day? Of course you have to go to the office every day. This is my job. Even though this is a, it's my own thing, I have to treat this extremely seriously. So... First of all, it just starts with the belief that you're going to work really hard at it every day. But yeah, writing things down, literally writing to-do lists, I'm huge at to-do lists. Um, I write tons of emails every day. I probably write one to two hundred emails a day. Um, I would say email and writing to-do lists are, are the best things. Unfortunately, a lot of it's just in my head all day long and it just happens pretty quickly. You just got to kind of keep track of it as fast as you can. You can't honestly do everything. That's good. Who are, uh, name one or two people that have had a huge impact on your life, uh, obviously your family, but I would say other than your parents because obviously they had a huge impact. Maybe one or two leaders that really inspired you or encouraged you to go for it. Sure. Um, so when I, um, so I got my bachelor's in 2002 and I started working full-time on college crowder and my dad told me Luke I can only help pay your rent pay your food as long as you're working to get your master's as well 
So between 02 and 04, I went part-time to get my master's. And then I had one semester left from January 04 to May of 04. And he had kind of set this deadline that I needed to finish my master's by 04. Otherwise, we were going to kind of have some issues, he and I. So I had to take seven master's level courses. So I took 84 units at Carnegie Mellon, and I'm working obsessively hard. While I'm going through this, my grandfather passes away, my car gets broken into, my house gets broken into, I have a major sinus condition, and we get covered in major, every, almost every major national media publication, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, Chicago Tribune, CNN, we're like all over the place, and we're raising capital from investors. It was some of the 14 most stressful weeks of my life, and I'm literally counting the weeks down. At that point, though, I got through it. I had a lot of self-confidence, and I demanded a meeting with the president of Carnegie Mellon. I said, I want to meet with President Cohen. I've got my bachelor's, I've got my master's, I've now raised $110,000 of capital, I've been all over the national media, I want 30 minutes with the president of Carnegie Mellon. First they said, Luke, we'll try to get you a meeting with the vice president, we'll try to get you a meeting with the dean. I said, nope, I want the president. So it took about three or four weeks to get a meeting with the president. And I wanted to know, what did he really think of college prep? I read all these reports that said that presidents hated U.S. News and World Reports, that they hate what we were doing. And I got the meeting, he said, I, I love what you're doing. You're giving the voice of the students. You're giving them their own platform. I couldn't be any more supportive. And he said, I also love the fact that you're from San Francisco. You've stayed here in Pittsburgh, and you're following your dream. I said, great. He said, I'd love to introduce you to one of our trustees, Glenn Meekham. And I said, okay, I don't really know who Glenn Meekham is. Um, and I call up my lawyer, and my lawyer says, Luke, Glenn is arguably the best entrepreneur in Western Pennsylvania. Glenn just sold the company for $500 million, Harvard undergrad, Harvard MBA, had the sixth best IPO in the history of the United States, cover of Business Week. He's the man. You cannot do better than that. So, in hindsight, I don't know where I would be if Dr. Jerry Cohen, the president of Carnegie Mellon, hadn't made that introduction to Glenn for me. I never had any doubt. I never said to myself, I need to go raise more investor capital. In reality, though, I needed to get to the next level, and he kind of just helped me. Um, I knew I wanted to meet with him. I kept him abreast of what I was doing. and. Uh, and then about three years later, just by pure coincidence, I joined a country club here in Pittsburgh called Longview. And I invited Dr. Cohen out to play golf with me. And I said, I'd love to play golf with you and Glenn. And he, he says to me, Luke, this is unbelievable. I'm a member of Longview as well. And you're 27 years old, you're from San Francisco, you're inviting me to my own country club <laughs> with one of our trustees. Yeah. He couldn't quite believe that I'd kind of networked my way into his own country club and I'm, I'm inviting one of his trustees to play golf with him. A year later, he invites me to become the youngest trustee in the history of Carnegie Mellon. So being on the board of trustees is an incredible honor, but again, it has opened me up to so many different experiences and broadened me that I would not necessarily have gotten otherwise. You know, when you're meeting with the CEO of Giant Eagle, meeting with the CEO of PNC Bank, meeting with all these different executives and these experiences and flew me over to the Middle East, I would say that, that Dr. Cohen, he, he, he's, he's not necessarily a corporate for-profit leader, but he saw something in me. 
he wanted to help me and it's just been incredible those types of doors that he's really opened for me I really appreciate what he's done he's given me an opportunity and I've jumped through those doors um, I also really appreciate Glenn I mean Glenn invested a million dollars into college prior by the time I was 25 years old um, now, if I was in Silicon Valley today with all these Instagrams and all this stuff that's going on, maybe raising a million dollars isn't as hard as it was. In 2004, 2005, I can tell you that there weren't a lot of 24, 25-year-olds, especially in Pittsburgh, that were raising a million dollars who basically had zero track record. Yeah. So he gave me he gave me a chance. He, he bet on me. And we're doing really well. I mean, the revenues are, are really cranking. We're in the, you know, several millions of dollars a year range now. We're doing great. And Glenn has given me a lot of mentorship. He's taught me a lot. He grew a business that he was able to sell for 500 million. He had hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. He employed thousands of people. We're not anywhere near that yet, but to learn from someone that's done that has just really been incredible. So I would say two people that really have had an impact on me here in Pittsburgh are Dr. Jerry Cohn and Glenn Meekum. Wow. That just brings us. So talk about the experience of being around high-level leaders like that. I mean, that's intimidating to a lot of us. I mean, I'm thinking if I had a, a meeting with the president of Carnegie Mellon, I'd be a little bit nervous. But just even what you've learned just about them as people, I think sometimes as young people, when it comes to networking or dealing, you know, asking for meetings with these people, it can be so intimidating, and we almost think that they're these people that are untouchable, they're godlike. And can you just talk about your experience being sure. around high-level executives? First, first, you have to realize one thing, is, is that everyone is just a person. One of the hardest things to do is simply just to get in front of these people. And it's the, unfortunately, you know, there's almost like this unspoken caste system, and everyone runs in these certain circles. If you get into that circle, everyone treats you normally, everyone treats you with the same level of respect. It's just how do you kind of get yourself through that door? And it's hard. And it's a lot of networking and connections is all about who you know. But the way to kind of get someone to open those doors is for someone to give you a shot, someone to trust you, you to establish self-credibility, and for that person to see that if they give you a shot, you execute on that opportunity. And then if someone bets on you and you do well, they want to keep betting on you. They like that. They feel like, hey, I did this guy a favor, but he maximized that favor. He did great with it. Let me give him another favor and see what else he can do. But with, with all these high-level executives, though, the key is, is the following. One is that you need to be extremely courteous and respectful and be on time. Write thank you notes. Um, listen a lot. Digest what they're saying. Not try to oversteer the conversation. Let them say what they need to tell you. They know more than you do. They have wisdom. Sometimes people get defensive and they're trying to be too self-confident. Let these people guide you. Let them teach you. Let them do that. And you develop you develop a good relationship with them. They want to teach you these things. But you need to let them. Um, and then I think you just need to kind of be a little bit persistent, but you need to be respectful though. Um, Follow-up is key. Um, if you meet someone and you trade business cards, 
70% of the battle is literally just writing them an email saying, it was so great to meet you at event X, Y, and Z. I was wondering if you'd be open to having coffee um, in two weeks if your schedule permitted. I would promise you that you have at least a 50% chance of getting that coffee. Um, people are not that cruel. Um, <laughs> that if you just write that thank you note, you remember them, you had a little bit of a connection, you have a pretty good chance of getting that coffee. Now, once you get that coffee, though, you don't want to waste their time. You want to come in there with a purpose. You want to come in there with agenda. You don't want to spin their wheels. I would keep it to 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes tops, and make sure you know what you really want. Do you just want life advice? Do you want um, an interview? Do you want them to introduce you to someone? Do you just want to become friendly? What do you want? You need to come in there with a purpose and and not not go too much. But and then and then you that's it. You, you, you back off of it. Maybe you touch base with them in six months. Maybe you touch base with them in a year. You don't talk to them every two weeks. Yeah. You touch them softly once in a while, and all of a sudden. Five years down the line, you've now developed a real relationship. They realize you're a solid guy. You're not driving them crazy. You just want to be nice. And you have coffee with them every five years. And now you've developed a real relationship. And, and all of a sudden, those people can start to really, really, really help you. Um, but I, I'd say the key is to keep it pretty simple, not to overcomplicate it. That's awesome. It's uh, it's 9.18, so I don't know. Okay, we can go 10 more minutes. Okay. Sure. Just to make sure. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I did this part out. Uh, one thing I was like asking, you know, successful people, especially when they're young, is what have you learned about money as it relates to your personal life and business? I mean, I think a lot of people will look at you and say, oh, he's successful. And I don't know what you make, but I'm, I'm sure people will say, oh, you're well off. What have you learned as far as pursuing a job for the money versus pursuing your passion? Well, I do think that, um, you have to love what you do. Um, so you can't have the job just be about the money. You'll be miserable. It's, it's just not fair to yourself. Um, you also have to be willing to put in the time and the energy. Maybe you're underpaid. Maybe you're not getting as much money as you want. But if you do a great job, if someone bets on you, let's say you want to make $100,000, and they say to you, I'll give you $50,000, but this is really your foot in the door and really come up with something great. If you bust your tail for three years and you keep your head down and you're really quiet and you do an exemplary job for three years, I promise you, you may not make that hundred grand, but you will have learned enough. They'll write you a great letter of recommendation. You can grow to that next phase, but you, you have to realize that it all takes time. Um, I think a lot of young people today are impatient and they want this major victory. They want this major success immediately. Um, I'm highly impatient and a highly driven guy, but I've had the fortitude and the patience though. I've been at this for 10 years and I still am not where I really want to be. I'm extremely driven and I'm very, have very high aspirational goals. But I realized that it, it takes time. It does take time. It's not easy to make a million dollars. It's not easy to make $500,000. It's not easy to make $100,000. But if you work hard at it for a long time, it, it starts to happen. But you gotta have patience. And once you acquire that amount of money, I mean, does it change you at all? I mean, once, 
So you've gotten uh, you've gotten the media attention. You've I'm sure you've made a, a decent amount of money. Has that changed who you are at all? I mean, I think I think it, if you let it, it can easily change you. I think when one thing that that happens when you're young. If you're an entrepreneur and you get the media attention, you start to think that you're bigger than you are, that you're this really big success. And wow, I've got written up in the New York Times, I've got written up and been on CNN. But once the, the article's over and the interview's over and life is just normal again, you gotta you gotta go do that job. You gotta go be a success and you've gotta really make it happen. Um, there's so many people that do things for the wrong reasons, like they're insecure and they go shopping or they go buy things that they don't really need because they artificially help them make themselves feel better momentarily. Um, I'm, what, I make more and more money every year, but I, I would say that from a material possession standpoint, I, I don't really like material possessions that much. They don't really do that much for me. Um, like I like, I love my iPhone, so I'm willing to go get the new iPhone every year. So yeah, it's 200 bucks. I, I'm okay getting the new iPhone. I like wearing a nice pair of blue jeans. I wear them probably honestly three to four times every week. So I'm gonna wear them like 150 to 200 times a year. And then after one year, probably get a new pair of jeans, but I'm gonna wear them like 200 times. Um, but besides that, what I've realized though that I love is I love to travel and I love to go out to get a, a nice meal, a really nice meal. So I, I don't need, let's say, fancy clothes. I don't need this new computer, this new video camera, or this or that. I, I don't buy a lot of that stuff. So yeah, I like to go to New York. I like to go to travel. I like to um, go out to a nice restaurant. And that's where I spend my money. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that I start spending my money in all these other places. I spend the money where it actually really gives me true enjoyment. Great. Last, uh, I have two more questions. But how, talk about building credibility as a young leader. I mean, obviously, being on the CMU board, the youngest member ever, uh, starting a business at such a young age. How did you build credibility to where older leaders say, hey, wow, this kid's worth a shot. I want to invest in him. I mean, I think one question I've asked a lot of our investors when I was younger is why did you invest in me? Why did you invest in College Prowler? They said, Luke, in all honesty, your idea is not that great. And I'd always kind of get deflated and be like, wow, thanks for telling me that. <laughs> I said, so what did you see? They said, well, we saw something in you. I said, hmm, mm. well, what, what was the biggest thing you saw in me? They said, the number one thing we always saw in you was your, your honest. I said, really? They said, whether your idea is a home run whether you have this perfect vision, whether you're even working hard or not, I just know that what you're telling me is the truth. I can trust you. You're not BSing me. I said, yeah, I'm telling you the truth always. Um, people don't like being BSed. And really smart, successful people can smell BS from a mile away. Um, that people, like salesy people and people that are kind of slippery, they think they're not being slippery. Smart people can see right through that stuff. Yeah. Um, so what I try to do is just be so honest all the time in everything that I do. I don't want to be disrespectful and I'm so crude and, and, and I'm just like this raw 
totally honest person that, 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 that doesn't have respect, but I'm, I'm really honest. I'm really honest all the time. If I'm thinking it, I try to say it and I get it off my chest. And I think candor is really important. So when I sit in a board of trustees meeting, I, first of all, they send you these huge packets of information. They're like three or 400 pages before a board meeting. Honestly, I feel like as the youngest trustee, maybe I don't have as much money as some of these other guys. My duty is to read that information. So I read the whole thing. I read all 300 pages, all the financial statements. I read everything. And then when a question comes up in the presentation, in the board meeting, and I feel like it's just not right, I'm not afraid to ask that question because I know that I'm right. And I know that there's something that doesn't make sense that I feel if I don't ask that question, that I'm, I'm not doing the right service to the rest of the board, that it's my duty to ask that question that everyone else could benefit from that. I'm not just speaking up to get attention. And it's like, Oh, here's this young guy that's asking questions, slowing down the board meeting. No, I know that there's something material that I need to ask that everyone else should be aware of. And that comes with doing the hard work though. I read this stuff. I've thought about it. I've really gotten my thoughts in order. Um, and that, that, you just can't make that stuff up. That's good. Uh, last question. Where, where are you at in 15 years? And then you can just close with any advice you'd give to young leaders. I mean, where I'm at in 15 years is, um, first of all, you know, I just got married. I definitely want to be um, married and, and have a family. I want to have several children. hope to start that family pretty soon. Um, I want to love what I'm doing. I want to really be inspired to really be helping people and having an impact on a on an organization that's that's really impacting millions, if not billions, of people. The thing that I don't love about College Prowler is that even if we hit every single high school senior in the United States, that's still only three or four million people a year. There's seven billion people in the world. I'm not impacting the whole world. I'm impacting one, I'm impacting an important slice, but it's a relatively speaking, a pretty small slice of the whole world. I wish when you think of a Google, an Amazon, a Facebook that's impacting hundreds of millions or billions of people, I wish that I had an organization that was impacting a greater number of people. Now, I can, I can grow the services and we can go into jobs and careers and cities and international and keep growing there. It takes time and maybe we'll start to impact a greater and greater number of people. But whatever I do in 15 years, I want to know that I'm impacting a lot of people. I feel like my work and my life here is limited on this planet, that I want to know that I'm really helping as many people as I can help. That's really important to me. Um, and, and I feel like part of the reason that I want to be so successful, though, is that so I can give back as much as I can. And unfortunately... I feel like you need that success, you need that money to open up huge doors to be able to have as great of an impact as possible. Um, if you have $100,000, yeah, you can give away $75,000, but if you had a billion dollars and you could give away $750 million, it's just incredible what you can do with that money. So part of what I'm motivated is to generate all this wealth, but I don't materially want it for myself. It's not like I want 20 houses, it's so that I can 
help all these people. I just need that platform yeah. to be able to give that money away. Um, it just takes a lot of energy to go amass all that. Um, as far as you know, advice to young people and advice to young leaders and entrepreneurs and people listening to this, I would say that the number one thing to do is to is to just kind of follow your heart, to follow your own, really be in tune with who you are and what you want. Everybody's different. Some people want to be the president of the United States. Some people want to work for a nonprofit. Some people want to work for a for-profit. Everybody needs to just know what makes them them. Um, and that's easier said than done. The best way that I get to myself is I wake up really early, I get a huge cup of coffee, and I sit in the coffee shop and I just start writing. And I get my thoughts out. And when I write it down on paper, I find that I'm, I'm in touch with myself in a different way than when I think about it just in my own head or when I talk to someone, that somehow I can be more honest with myself when I get it down on paper. And then when I start to see it, I start to develop clearer and clearer goals and thought processes. So I, I encourage people to always kind of write things down and really think it through. And I, I feel like you can really get your vision and your clarity and your goals much more concrete when you write them down. That, that, that's worked very well for me over the years. And I would, I'd recommend that to anybody. And whatever those goals create, that's okay. That, that can, that's, that's great. Just know who they are, know who you are, and stick to that. And, 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 and be happy with that. Be at peace with that. I love it. That was fantastic. I can't wait to listen to it again and take notes. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, looking forward to... In the future. Perfect. Thanks so much. Yeah.